Howdy there, folks, and welcome to The Random Men, where two experts in nothing talk about everything. Have you ever found yourself looking at an everyday item and thought, why is that like that, or how'd they get there? Chances are you have. We sure did, and with a little research, now have the backstories for some of those common things you may have wondered about. So get ready, because today, two random men discuss stories behind everyday things. So I learned something about myself this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Have you ever had one of those moments where you said, I'm, I'm going to perform something hard-ass, I'm going to prove I'm a tough guy, and then immediately got shot down? Yes. Daily. <laughs> daily. <laughs> so I know I had called you earlier in the week when my hot water heater went out. Uh-huh. And it's cold here. Yes. And so uh, we're getting ready that evening. Start, you know, it's time to get everybody wound down. And uh, Melanie's like, I'm going to take the kids over to mom's. We're going to go take showers and stuff. Do you want to go? Because y'all didn't have the hot water. Because so we didn't yeah. have hot water. Yep. And I'm like, I had some chicken in the oven. And I was like, nah, it's fine. I'll take a cold shower. <laughs> Thinking I would totally be fine. I guess I've been watching too much Yellowstone. And I'm like, I'm watching these guys mm. jump in the rivers up there and swim around. And they're totally fine. I can do this. We ain't that tough, I did dude. an ice bucket challenge mm. not, you know, a couple years ago. Dude, I jumped in that shower and immediately regretted <laughs> It was one of those, no, 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 shit, 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 smacking the wall, splashing water everywhere. I, I think I was in and out in 30 seconds. Uh, yeah. And I felt so <laughs> bad about myself. Standing there cold and naked and just going, I'm a weak man. I don't think that that's necessarily being a weak man, because I, I, I know I couldn't do it. I know there's a lot of people... It's in different corners of the health community that they recommend taking ice cold showers. And, you know, it's like we've sat in ath- yeah. I mean, I- ass baths <laughs> in ice baths before, you know. We oh, yeah. Back in- yeah, playing sports and sports. everything like that. You know, yeah, we'd get in the ice bath. Now, I hated it every time oh, I did yeah. it. I mean, it was it was not pleasurable by any means. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I did it. But... I also had a lot less fat back then. <laughs> that would help. Uh, I, That's how I, seals I, work. I, it's true. <laughs> Walruses. Yeah, you never see a seal get out of the water and go, oh man, it's cold. They're designed for that. Uh, I'm not. But I, I know I, I couldn't do it. Dude, no, no, no. Nope. You should just try it. I'm just why? Why? After, especially after hearing your story, why would I want to do that? You just want me I, to share in your misery. That's true. <laughs> nope. 100%. I want nope. you to call me and say, that sucks nope. just as bad as you nope. said it did. I agree with you. It does. Now, why can you gradually turn it down and it's not as bad? Have you ever do, done that? Like after you work out or anything and you just kind of gradually or man, say work out shit, mowed the lawn in the middle of Texas in the summer man, and I'm, you just gradually turn the water down colder and colder. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've got to really have, cold. I've got to have it hot, pretty hot shower. Like, uh, but not like lady hot, right? Oh no, no, not like the women like where it's so freaking hot that scalds you. Like I can't, I don't understand that. Yeah, trying to jump in the shower with your wife or something, you know, and it's like <laughs> lava. <laughs> so it's like, hot. what are you trying to do? Become a dragon? How? I, I'm, I'm sure there's something to do with the whole exfoliating and then pores and all this stuff and whatever, but. They're just tougher. Yeah. There's Straight that. Straight up. There's that. There's, there's science behind that. The a lot females tougher. Females are way tougher. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't need science. I've seen it. Not just, <laughs> I'm 
not just talking about babies, but I mean in general, like a a female can handle more physical pain than a man. I've seen I'm it. I'm talking about warm showers with my first world problems here. I'm like a hot shower. Oh boy, that's <sighs> yeah. But it's gonna suck though. I mean, especially having little ones running around like ah, that's that's not cool. You never know when there could be an accident, and it's like one of those you need to emergency throw into the tub, mm. and that option isn't there. That's true. Why don't you just get like some pans, fill it full of water, throw it on the stove for a you little know, bit? Everybody said that to me. Do you know how long that would take? Well, I mean, think about it. Even if you filled the bathtub up just a little bit with water, not, you couldn't no, no, just no. haul a pan after a bucket. No, I was talking more like, pot. you know, get yourself all sudsed up and everything, get a pan of water, bring it in there, just kind of <laughs> spot wash yourself. You know what I mean? Like anything better than just like, I'll just jump in the ice cold. I'm just going to kneel down in the yeah. tub like I'm a T-800 that just came from the future and just splash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Lukewarm water out of a pot onto myself. I'm sorry. I don't feel so, I don't feel bad for you because there were plenty of other options you could have had. You could have run into my house and take a no, shower. I, just, I <laughs> stupidly <laughs> thought... I can handle, like, no problem. It's just cold water. Yeah. And I've jumped in cold rivers, cold lakes. That's different, though. Why is it when it's surface area, you adjust so much faster, but when it's just blasting certain parts of your spinning naked dad bod? (laughs) Just like, no, no, no. That's worse than the last place it hit. (laughs) And not even, like, the vital areas. Like, your back. It was like, oh, God, no. Love handle. Yeah. You want to talk about men versus women. A back. I don't know if I just have an overly sensitive back. (laughs) But everything hurts. Like if a kid accidentally whap it with something or. It's tender. It's It's tender there. It's tender there. Oh, Oh, man. I am so glad that we are back to this. Back for season three. Yes. This is awesome. Good to see you, man. Yep. Yep. We took our break. Uh, We're. Back at it, full swing. And welcome back for all of you. Yes. To listen with us all yes. the time. We hope uh, everybody enjoys our new content. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll make you laugh, make mm-hmm. you think. Do the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. You know what you're in for. <laughs> so we, we were talking, uh, gearing up for this, about all the things that like you see on regular day stuff. And you ever stop and think, like, where did that come from? Like, why is that that? Like, who made that thing that way? Well, I'll tell you what sparked, because I think it, it was me that brought it to you, right, for the topic. Yeah, and it was stayed in a hotel, and a staple of almost any hotel, at least here in the states. I don't know how much overseas, which I actually did look it up, and it, it's prevalent everywhere. Um, the Bible in the bedside table mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a hotel. Yep, and every, it just got me to thinking. Every hotel I've ever been when in had did one. That start? Why? You know, I know why it's there, but when when did this become a thing? I've never stayed in a hotel that didn't have one. True, very true. And so that kind of what sparked us on this the conversation that we're going to have mm-hmm. this evening of well, what what how did that how did I get there? How did I get there? Yeah, what what's the story behind these random things? Yes. So glad y'all could join us this evening. Sit back and we'll tell you a tale or two. <laughs> I've got one of them that I know is not, it's mostly speculation because it's so old, but the, okay. I've got the generalized story. Of it, but we'll get into that in a little well, bit. Well, why don't you go and start off, uh, tell me what you found about the, the Bible thing. Okay, so Bible's in the bedside. Okay. The name of my story right now. <laughs> it's not very long. It's a fairly recent, only about um, 100 years ago. So it uh, 
if you look up the Bibles, they're from Gideon International. Okay. Now, the Gideon International was founded in 1899. And it was founded by, there was three men, but two of them were uh, traveling salesmen. Okay. They traveled all over just doing traveling sales. Couldn't really find what they were sales into, but uh, that had nothing to do with them starting the ministry. General goods. General goods, let's say. Okay. So these two men end up at a hotel and have to share a room. Uh, John Nicholson and Samuel Hill. Okay. Anyway, they end up in the room together and find out that they're both Christian. Start talking, go out, eat, pray together, things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, then they get the idea, we need to form an organization. Because what they liked about putting the Bibles in the hotels was that was a comfort for traveling Christians. If you got there, I mean, yeah. you think there's no TV, there's no radio, there's nothing but you lonely with your thoughts in the hotel room. So they decided it would be a good idea to put Bibles in the hotel rooms. Okay. They got together with another friend and actually started uh, Gideon. They called themselves the Gideons. There's okay. three of them started it at, at the beginning. Well, through donations... Uh, members' contributions. They were able to raise enough money to... The first place they went to was in 1908, the Superior Hotel in Superior, Montana, and asked the manager, can we put Bibles in all the rooms? He was like, yeah, sure, why not? Okay. So they did that, and it just grew from there. Anytime a new hotel would open, they would present the manager with a Bible from Gideon and then ask if they could provide a Bible for every room in the hotel. And it just okay. grew and grew and grew. Yeah, the hotels are going to be like, yeah, free stuff? Cool, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I said, now remember, the hotels don't pay for any of this. This mm -hmm. is all given to them from Gideon. Okay. As, as today is sitting, they are distributed it in over 200 countries and territories. Wow. And the Bibles are printed in 108 different languages, all from this one organization. Huh. That never charge a dime. Way to go, guys. So That's Pretty cool. Pretty cool story, right? And now, now, I got my answer fairly quick. It's not a long, drawn-out story. It's pretty cut and dry. Mm -hmm. But that's why it is, is that they do that at all the hotels. Hmm. Yeah, I, now, think everybody, I think everybody that's ever stayed at a hotel has done the thing where they go through and randomly look through drawers. opening drawers. And, like, sometimes <laughs> you're, like, wondering, like, what the person, you know, left before you. Mm. Or you know what the what the the cleaners didn't Gold. didn't pick up or whatever, but I think everybody is at that point noticed like oh there's a Bible like there it is yep, you open it up and it's just a staple. Um, yeah. In the past twenty years though, it's kind of gone down. There's about a fifteen to twenty percent drop in the Bibles in the rooms, just because just the of, way the yeah. world works. I mean, there, yeah. there's so many different religions you can't favor one. Yeah, if you're yeah. a business, yeah, especially if you're like a huge chain. Hotel chain, you know, right. like now yeah, they're still yeah. in there in most of them, and yeah. it's just kind of yeah. a staple. And it's been um, around for a hundred years, so they're going to keep rolling with it until all it's going to take is one person complaining, and they'll probably be gone. And it'll but, be a social media wildfire, and they'll pull them all out. Yeah, but uh, it is one of those things that I think everybody has seen the Bible. Absolutely, in, you stayed in a hotel. In, you've yeah, seen in, a in the bedside New Testament Bible. Thing. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. The organization cool. also provides them to um, prisons and hospitals. So pretty much, if there's a free Bible somewhere, it's come from Gideon. Cool. And uh, the question I have to pose to you, sir, as we sit here, mm -hmm. is it a sin to take the Bible out of the hotel room? Is it a? <laughs> hmm. I'm just saying. Do to is it frowned upon to take 
the hotel Bible. Well, it's not actually the hotels because it was given to them. They didn't so pay for it. Are you stealing it? Or are you just taking it? Hmm. I, I don't know. In the what eyes is... of Gideon International, no. Okay. If you need the Bible and you take the Bible from the hotel room, they look at it as, you got a Bible, we'll get another one in there. Okay. The hotels yeah. kind of frown upon it. Why? They've got, well, they've got to constantly call and try to get things replaced if everybody took. Oh, yeah. I guess they got to get with the Gideon guys and be like, hey, yeah, guess what? They... <laughs> Missing 20 Bibles again. Yep. Hey. They're all out of the rooms. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, but it's not theirs. So. If you look, though, <laughs> on the cover. Screw is you, the... hotel. <laughs> That's your, <laughs> <not> your Bible. <laughs> tell me I can't have no free Bible. Uh, on the cover, though, is the phone number to call for Gideon that if you want a Bible, they will get you one. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, pretty neat. Now you know that story. A lot bigger story to it than what I really been thought. Than just maybe it was a staple of every hotel said, we'll put Bibles in the room. Yeah, okay. But yeah, no, there is an organization that takes care of all that. Along with many other things, but that was the, the, the main topic of conversation was, where did the Bibles come from? Hmm. So now you know. Kitty International. Well, moving on to the next one. Uh, what have you got? The NFL playoffs going on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, that if you're even even remotely a football fan, if you've even watched American football, you've probably heard them refer to it as the pigskin. Oh, yeah. At least one time. You're going you know, to everybody... toss around the old pigskin in the yeah. backyard there. Yeah, and of course, you know, American football has been around for a couple hundred years. It's it's a lot older than what a lot of people think. Uh, a couple get... hundred years? It, uh, yeah. A couple dec- what? couple it's hundred years. been around since like the 1800s. Okay, 100 so... plus years. Yeah, <laughs> a couple hundred? It's, it's, we're 2022 right now, dude. Like, yeah. Uh, there's um, a painting of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington tossing the old pigskin back and forth. So anyway, the whole idea <laughs> was where did the idea of or where did where did the term pigskin come from? Yeah. Now, most people would probably sit back and go, "Hey, it's leathery, so it mm-hmm. probably came from like the hide of a pig or something like that's where you get it from." Not exactly true. So, it's not the skin, but it's the inside. Of the football that actually came from the pig. They used to use the pig intestine, among many other things, because back in the day they just used whatever they could to make a ball. The bladder. But they would use, uh, yes, they would use the bladder oh. of the pig, and then they would wrap it in some kind of, typically it would be like a leather or hide of another animal or something like that. Uh, because of the bladder and the way that when they were, they when they would inflate it, it caused the football to kind of give it the shape that we kind of sort of know nowadays. Mm-hmm. It was a little different, you know, back in the day. Um, but that's it was kind a bit of, more like a rugby ball back in the day. That's kind of why the football is kind of sort of shaped the way it is. Now, yes, they did have to inflate the pig bladder by mouth most Man. of the time. So that was... Yeah, I not... wonder how much air pressure you could really get in. I guess as much air pressure as a human lung holds. Well, uh, that was part of why they use it because it was so it was durable. It was it was pretty tough, so you could throw it around and kick it, hunk it, chunk it, Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> <Chicken football. laughs> <laughs> you know, and you give it around and yeah, and, and it would it would hold its shape. I wonder if that's durable. also. And we don't have this, but I wonder if that's also where the term like air bladder comes from. Probably. Because they Probably. used to use actual bladders to air up things. Um, they tried different things, like they tried uh, stuffing it full, like straw or different stuff like that. So oh, that God. way, they, that way, you know, somebody didn't have to take it like in their mouth and actually like blow it up. Stuff it full um, of straw. It like made it a weird, funky shape. And the cool thing about a football or even Deflate like a rugby gate, ball, nineteen oh one, is yeah, <laughs> full of straw. Is 
that because of the way, think about a regular ball, what you know about it. It's round, right? I've seen a ball. Now you think about a football, it makes it where it's easier Oblong. to catch and throw, hold on to. Yeah, it fits in the kick, hand better. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, it fits because it's not a perfect sphere. It's a ball made for your hand. Yes. So, then, in 1843, this is what I told you, football's been around, American football's been around a lot longer okay, than what you think. I'm sorry. I'm... In 1843. Acting like I know of shit. Charles Goodyear, why, do you, why does that name ring a bell? Oh, boy. Air up things. Charles Goodyear and his company were able to create the first vulcanized rubber. In the 1840s? 1843. Day. Is when they first created vulcanized rubber. Then that took over, instead of using pig intestines and different things like that, because they, they would use all kinds of different, whatever they could use at the time to make a ball. Um, but that was the pig skin, where it came from, was because they would use the bladder of the pig inside to inflate the football. Then, like I said, when Charles Goodyear created vulcanized rubber, or his company. Game changer. Total game changer. Literally. Yeah, I got to do all this, change it all up, get rid of the pig bladder and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course... Goodyear went on to start making tires and all kinds of different stuff like that. And so that's kind of the history of where we get the pig skin. Huck it, chuck it, football. I told you it was older than what you thought. I'm sorry, man. (laughs) That was me trying to be a know-it-all. Be like, you said a couple hundred years. You're like, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I guess, yeah. The viewers question us. You don't question me. (laughs) It's kind of my job is to question you. Yeah, I guess shit. If it was like 1820, we're a couple hundred years. Yep. Wow, man. So I was kind of one of that because I mean I've always been a huge football fan, but yeah, I was kind of was like pig skin. Yeah, yeah. I would think from the texture. Yep. I I assume that they used the hide. That's they what out, I thought too. I would have shell if you of would it. twisted my arm and said life or death. Guess why it's called a pig skin? I'd say because it's made out of pig skin on the outside. But no, no, they used a bunch of different leathers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, there's that one. <laughs> there's that there's that well there's that <laughs> pig skin oh man speaking of pig i have a pig story for you okay and it's about a little thing that is kept in kids rooms and you use it to teach them about money and savings mm, piggy bank piggy bank okay why why pigs why pigs you have my curiosity now this one's kind of wishy-washy because it goes back so far. Okay. Hey, we so just try to do the best we can. We're doing the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in the Middle Ages, there was an orange clay that was used for various reasons. Um, mostly, think like kitchenware, pots, plates, cups, things okay. of that nature. Because metal was expensive. Your, your regular commoners couldn't have metal cutlery. Yeah. At least for everybody in the whole family. You might have had that one or two nice things handed down, whatever, but Maybe not if, something you can just go out and just... If you're people living with a thatch roof and dirt floors... Yeah, metal's probably not something you're going to have lying around. Yeah, no. okay. okay. You didn't go to shops to buy it. If you did spend money on metals for, like, tools, like, yeah, stuff yeah. you're going to work with, yeah. Okay, makes sense. Blacksmithing and the like. So, anyway, this specific clay was called Pug, but it was spelt P-Y-G-G. Oh. So is pug clay. You move forward a little bit, people traveling, mispronouncing things, reading it a different way, started becoming known as pig clay. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, the idea of a coin bank is nothing new. 
Mm-hmm. That that it was Roman times, even before that. Um, in ancient China, they found clay pots. They all have the slits in them for keeping coinage in. Mm-hmm. It was a good and handy way to keep it. Yeah, but it really caught on with when people started changing it from pug to pig. Whether it was the potters being tongue in cheek. Wanted to be cute. About just it. wanting yeah. to be cute. So people started asking for pig banks. <laughs> and they would literally make them in the style of a pig. Look like a pig. Yeah. yeah. And this was a huge hit in Europe. Well, I'm sure. For yeah. everybody to have their pig banks. Yeah. Now, you also have to think at the time, livestock was also seen as wealth. Yeah. It represented wealth. Now, while we don't have cow banks, that's up in the air. Chicken Maybe, banks. But more people just had swine than cattle. Wasn't. Wasn't uh, pork like a cheaper alternative, like uh, beef, chicken, stuff like that? I, I think it was a little bit more There was a expensive. lot of cows. Like when I'm, when I'm just now having the conversation with you, thinking back to middle-aged Europe, uh, you don't really see lots of cattle. It's mostly yeah, pigs and horses and sheep. Goats, probably chickens. Chickens, yeah. But you don't see cattle. Okay. It might be a later episode we need to research when cattle was introduced in the rest of the world. Man, I don't know. Keep okay. that topic. <laughs> yeah, we're going to research that. Next episode. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so the the piggy bank became a staple. Mm-hmm. It becomes huge. Mm-hmm. Not just in children's rooms, but everybody had their pig bank. Now, the, the plug on the bottom for retrieving your money mm-hmm. is a relatively new staple in the piggy bank. Yeah, that didn't happen. Originally, it was you kept it, and you kept it until like you needed right. it. Until yeah. you smashed it to get the money out for the mm-hmm. savings, right? Mm-hmm. Which is where they believe we got the term breaking the bank when you spend all your money. Oh, yeah, you get your piggy and break it open to get... I spent all my money. Uh, uh, hey, dude, you're breaking the bank. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You gotta go smash my piggy now. And at least those are the popular myths. So take it all with a grain of salt, but that's the story behind piggy banks. Cool. Now, back in the ancient Roman times and all that, they were built to look like temples. All the money banks. Really? Yep. That, wouldn't that be like huge? Like, no, little like little, t- little temples. <laughs> little temple. <laughs> My little temple. Little money temple. <laughs> Which almost makes more sense than I a, what a money temple. <laughs> they surely they had a god of wealth. <laughs> My money temple, but it's empty. <laughs> I have an empty temple. Yep. <laughs> uh, one of the oldest known piggy banks though was found in Greece. Um and actually in a Greek colony that was in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And it was founded by Alexander the Great. So we're talking like 200 B.C. Wow. Okay. And that was one of those that was found, I believe, in a temple of Athena. But yes, it's an actual coin bank that's built in the, in the styling of the temple. Did, did they see how much is in it? I wish I would have looked <laughs> that up. I mean, no. surely they haven't like just like smashed it or broken it open. Surely they're using the x-rays <laughs> and different stuff like to see, you know, just perceive it. it. Some dude. <laughs> it's like, it sounds like $47.32. Some archaeologist is trying to shake the coins back out of it just sitting in the pit. Looking up at the... Trying to look inside there with a flashlight. Uh, yeah, with coinage that doesn't even exist that you don't even know what it is. Yeah. Oh. I think... I mean, find a bunch of Roman. Well, I, I didn't even say Roman. Why do I keep going back to Rome? I don't uh, know. Grecian coins. Yeah. Hmm. Alexander the Great. That's crazy. So Piggy there's bank. a story of how you get. After every story, we look at each other and go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how exactly do you end just one of these little factoids? Like, yeah. <laughs> In Thrally. I know it's like, would we started hashing out which each of us was going to take? You know, mm-hmm. I've texted you going, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up this one and this one and this one. And you go, okay, I'm going to look up this set of uh, topics. And you start looking them up and there's 
not really like epic backstories to them. It's just, which is nice. It makes the episode move along. Well, that's true. I got one that's actually a, a pretty short, but it, it's a short story, but it's something that a lot of people, some people probably already know this. Uh, as a matter of fact, me and you probably should have known this in the first place, but uh, I guess I just never really thought about it. What, what is it? Because I'm done with piggy banks. German chocolate cake. I'm guessing not from Germany. No, it is not from Germany. German chocolate cake was actually created in Texas in 1852. Because Texas had a huge influx of German immigrants. Am I... That's part of it, but where it actually gets its name from was a guy found a way to make the, the different kind of chocolate and... and because German chocolate has that certain flavor to it. It's, Very rich. Yeah. His name, Sam German. I was going to say Bob German. That's what I was thinking so the whole time you were saying that. that's actually where it came from, was just named after him, German mm-hmm. chocolate cake. And it was actually, originally, whenever it very first came out and became a prominent thing, and whenever they, they would advertise it, it was German's chocolate cake. They and the S, the S just finally got dropped, and so it just became German mm-hmm. chocolate cake. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, a lot of people probably already know that one, but I think there's a fair amount. Because me, I, I just never really I thought about thought it. I thought it was a style of German I, cake. Yeah, I just never really thought about it. And I was like, oh, well, what do you know? Do you German We'll find cake? ourselves now ordering it as German's chocolate cake. Well, uh... You get the strange look from people when I'm like, how are many... you making German's chocolate cake this weekend? Yeah, and Sam, I'm going to go, German's? What do you mean, German's? Yeah, why'd, you, why'd you do that? Making Sam's cake? <laughs> making Sam's cake. Give me some Sam cake. But, you know, uh, fortune cookies were actually invented by a guy in California. Yes. Now, I did know that. So, Fortune cookies are completely American-made. Something that you... American uh, ideas. Yeah, you associate with Chinese food, different stuff like that. But, no, it's actually created by a dude. I think he was actually Asian descent, I believe, maybe. But, either way, it was created by a guy in California. Wasn't there another one you said earlier that you were like, hey, isn't that actually... Oh, French fries. Yeah, French fries. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, French fries. I'm betting like, they're not from France. <laughs> yeah, I'm French a gambling fr- man. French fries probably aren't French. French fries probably didn't come from French. Yeah. From the French. Well, looking up some of the stuff that I had questions about, I just went with the good old-fashioned t-shirt. Like, where the t-shirt where came the from? Where the t-shirt came from, because today it is the, what is it, how do they phrase it, the, the highest-selling garment sold yeah. in the world is a, the lowly t-shirt that's funny because i actually i would have thought socks would be the most sold garment but i guess t-shirt you know maybe it means uh, outer garment hmm. outerwear hmm, maybe because yeah you got to be right there underwear and socks i don't know i've i've gone online and bought a lot of t-shirts at one time how many different styles of socks are there <laughs> <laughs> we're talking t-shirt we're talking about one style but yeah so back in world war one U.S. military was around 1913. The U.S. Navy adopted the crew neck T-shirt to be worn as the undergarment for the uniform. So all the sailors have T-shirts. Okay. Before that, let me let me take a step back. Before that, they were making their own T-shirts out of the long johns. They would just, just cut them, cut them, them off more... into like a crop top, and then cut the sleeves off into short sleeves. Make it more comfy. Make it more comfy. It was yeah. more versatile. They could hang out in it. Mm-hmm. So you have 1913... The Navy adopts the T-shirt as the undergarment standard issue. Okay. So all the sailors are wearing it. And this keeps going into World War II. We know how we uh, follow the sailors on their trends. Ah. Mm -hmm. So on the world stage post-World War II, all the pictures are surfacing of 
sailors just chilling and working and, and hanging out in these t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And it had a big impact with the rebellious youth who wanted to dress comfortable or just the regular working man that wanted to be comfortable. Yeah. So in 1938, Sears Roebuck started selling t-shirts in the catalogs. Mm. Most of them just the white, plain, crew neck t-shirt. Yeah. But it caught on. You start watching all these old movies. Fast forward into the 50s a little bit. James Dean, Marlon Brando, Streetcar mm-hmm. Named Desire, was pretty much wore a t-shirt for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And these were seen as masculine, man's men icons of the time. Also uh, a little defiant. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Clark Gable was actually in the wife beater but uh, yeah so it caught on that everybody just started wearing it as outerwear hmm. and so the boomer culture post-world war ii is really went through it you start getting into the the 50s and the 60s that's when everyone started customizing their t-shirts from the plain white t-shirts doing the things like tie-dye putting the smiley face on them um putting doing graphics yeah doing some, graphics some kind of graphic on, on, the on there yeah. yeah the tees yeah because here you are with this I don't have to get dressed and be nice and, and stylish or everything. This is my regular everyday whatever, but I'm going to put a smiley face on it. Or, yeah, everybody's yeah, going to jazz yeah, it up. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the white tee can only last for so long. Now, it's a classic look. You throw like a leather jacket over that, some jeans. True. Buddy, you're looking slick. True. As long as it's a nice white tee. Not something that you sleep in every night. <laughs> but yeah, and people also weren't allowed to... It wasn't until the 1970s when you were allowed to wear t-shirts to school. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I never really thought too hard on my t-shirt history, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So we got like Brando, James Dean, um, Elvis. Yeah. Wore t-shirts a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all that pushed it to the forefront of pop culture where it became acceptable to wear t-shirt as outerwear. Because before it was just seen as underwear. It would be like wearing your tidy whities instead of shorts walking down the street. Yeah. But jazz it up. Little accessory here and there. Staple. That is still running strong today. Running super duper strong. Yep. So yeah, we have uh, the U.S. sailors to thank for that. Well, on the same note with the sailors, I got one that's kind of brought up because of another uh, military-based thing. Why is it that 99% of cops' uniforms are blue? You know, you always hear the boys in blue and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and why is it? Why are police officers' uniforms blue? So, the London... Metropolitan Police, 1829. Oh, they are considered the first full-on police force. Okay. Was it London? Yep. It is considered the first, like, real, like, what we know policing uh, now. Like, I mean, there's been guards and, you know, and other, you know, uh, civilizations and different stuff. But, like, as far as the actual police force. This, yes. Was the first Implemented one. Implemented in yep. the 1820s? 1829. When they were established. Picture the tall hats and the nightsticks. So, they were given dark blue uniforms to differentiate between the military. Because the military at the time were dressed in white and red. So, they were given blue so that way people wouldn't mistake them for military. Because they were supposed to be everyday. civilian police force. Yeah, they were supposed to be for everybody instead of going up to some guy that was... Or they policed the civilian community. Yeah. So. Kept the peace. Keepers of the peace. 1845. So they just kind of went with the opposite of what the military was wearing. They just, yeah, changed it up just a little bit so that way you could, like I said, people could tell the difference and look and go, that's a police officer, you know, whatever. So 1845, the first official police force in New York was established. Took about 20 years to catch on across the pond. Well, think about what things were going on. Saddle and sail. 
Um, so they adopted the traditional wear from the London police force. Kind of the same thing. But it really caught on during the Civil War because the Union Blues were so easy to get a hold of that they started distributing, distributing them out to the police forces when they were just getting started in different cities that didn't have like a full uniform. They're like, hey, this is what we had readily available. The uniforms. Yeah, this is what we had, so here you go. So it spread all across the U.S. of the cops wearing the, the navy blue type thing. And that's why you have nowadays where it's just a traditional, that's what it came from. It was just out of what we had laying around. Wow. Started, you know, in London with their Adopted first police. it from but, London said, we'll go with blue. Blue looks good, too. But you know what? We have a lot of blue uniforms laying around, so let's just keep it going. Sitting around because of the Civil War and said, keep it going. Yeah, just keep it going with it. So that's why now now you see uh, a lot of different police uh, forces have different things now, different colors, mm-hmm. uh, different different groups that mean different things. But the, the tried and true navy blue is always kind of stuck. We adopted Plus, it. that navy and blue just looks clean, man. It looks slick. It does. It does. Commands the eye. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. neat. So there you go. That's why cops are blue. That was an interesting one. So I'd like to take a minute now to talk to you about toilet paper. That seems like a very important subject. It's very important. It's one of the most important. <laughs> We've we all l- been there when we learned we're out. anything from last year. <laughs> oh Jesus, yeah. That's true. So no secret that in prehistoric history. It was commonly known that, or thought can, of, it, it was things like moss. Can it rocks. really be prehistoric history? Well, I'm just saying everything up until, <laughs> uh, I don't know, let's say probably. Doesn't prehistoric mean before history? 500 BC. No, I'm talking prehistoric, caveman days. Gotcha. Okay. Early human history. Okay. You're wiping your ass. <laughs> when I was looking up the topics, rock was actually on the list. Oh, ouch. <laughs> it was like moss. Leaves. Okay, cool. Rock. Like, there's not a better option than a rock. Mm. I throw some sand or something up there. Like. Did you, if you found a good rock, did you keep that rock? This is my special smooth. ass rock. This is my smooth ass rock. This is my smooth ass rock. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh. It's my ass rock. <laughs> so, damn it. Man, okay. you, got me, you got me plugged <laughs> Smooth ass rocks. I'm gonna give you an ass rock and a. I got this for you. Oh, in a gift box. Nope. No need to. <laughs> but one, it was key special ass rock. No need to. I got toilet paper. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's ancient Rome. There were things okay. called. Uh, I'm gonna try to pronounce this correctly. Pterosauriums. Okay. Now, would you like to guess what this is? A dinosaur. You'd prefer the rock. Oh God. This is a sponge on a stick. Okay. Okay. So, reusable sponge on a stick that was also a communal sponge that was used in the toilet houses, the latrines, the public bathhouses. It was literally just like a... Kept in a bucket of like vinegar and salt water. And I would get done with ass stick, and then I'd hand you ass stick because you were sitting right next to me. Oh, no. If you see pictures of these things, it's a rectangle, and all along the outer perimeter is holes and so there's no stalls there's no doors it yeah. is you sitting shoulder to shoulder just sitting on in a, a room full of people yeah sitting on stools with a hole in it basically well actually yeah. they were slabs or slabs yeah yep 
Now, the Romans did it right, man. You didn't get no wooden stool. You got like a marble slab. Cold-ass marble slab for your ass. Hmm. Think about that. Hmm. Probably so numb it didn't matter what you were wiping your ass with at that point. Yeah, I guess not. Then when you were... You know how many... Think about the scenes in gangster movies with the sauna, where you go in there and that's where the business deal goes down. Mm-hmm. Imagine ancient Rome, all these business deals going down while everybody's just shitting in a communal outhouse. No. You know that had to happen. No, no. no. People were a lot more comfortable than like... <laughs> I still don't like it when somebody sits in the stall next to me. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. They try to talk to you. Hey. And you're like, shut up. Can I get a square? <laughs> hey, buddy. Do me a solid. Okay, man. I'm not giving you everything. <laughs> Give me what I can. But yeah. So, talk to me again. So these uh, pterosauriums was essentially a sea sponge on a stick. And then you would get done, stick it in the bucket, try to wash it off. And then everybody just came around and grabbed them. Ooh. Terribly unsanitary, about as unsanitary as it gets. Yeah, so Ugh. you can imagine that. I don't we're, want we're to, but unfortunately, happy, I am. We're kind of happy things changed. Yeah, a little bit. But hell, in 1992, there were some archaeologists discovered a 2,000 year old hygiene stick. I'm using my exclamation fingers here. Hygiene stick. Why was it a stick? I can reach back. Why can't you just? Okay, hold the sponge. Ew, for usable sponge, but. It's on a stick, so you're already re- the only difference is your hands involved. Anyway, they found a uh, two thousand year old hygiene <laughs> stick from the uh, Han Dynasty on a military base, and it was actually wrapped in cloth. Okay. Now, what makes this special is that cloth was made by hand, so laborious to say the least. You you didn't just have cloth. It, it would have just, cost yeah. a lot and a lot of man hours to just make your shit sticks like this. Yeah. So that was probably something more along the lines of royalty. Yeah, as you can imagine. The first recorded use of toilet paper was from the 6th century China in 589. And after that, it became widespread, where China was using toilet paper. Yeah, I'm sure everybody was tired of wiping their ass with their sponge sticks. 6th to 6th century. Well, the rest of the world didn't catch up to that. We're talking from 589. Do you know when it started being used over here in Western culture? Uh, At least in in the States? In the states were already established. Yeah, I'm about to say Bubba. the states already established. Yeah. 1857. Ouch. Okay. A man named uh, Joseph Gayete. All right. Or Gayete uh, from New York City started marketing a product called uh, medicated paper for the water closet. Okay. And you could get 500 sheets for 50 cents. Done. Like we've said a couple of times in this episode, game changer. Yeah. 50 cents back in the day was still a, Done. a, a, a little bit, you know, yeah. some money, but still, nope. Cool that. So that also helped with the sanitation because before mm-hmm. that, everybody was using like newspapers or catalogs. You know how we don't see it now because you don't see outhouses really. <laughs> um, but, um, or why uh, catalogs became so prevalent in the bathrooms. Things like Sears Roebuck, Farmer's Almanac. <laughs> Dual purpose? <laughs> Dual purpose. You had a reason material and oh. something to finish your business up with. Oh. The strangest one on the list, and when I saw it, I started laughing so hard, for alternative wiping implements. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. <laughs> Corn cob. The fuck? <laughs> Corn cob. No. Yes. No. Corn cob. I, I saw that shit on the I list. I fail to believe <laughs> no that way human that... beings... Just up and down. <laughs> it doesn't seem 
Like, are, that would work well at all. We are actually a stupid species, aren't we? Go with the rock. <laughs> at least it's got some texture to it. Oh, God. I mean, and, and there was nothing that specified whether it was kernels on, kernels off. <laughs> I assume kernels off Jesus. would be better. Jesus, no. That was the one that got me. During the oh. whole, I knew going into toilet paper research, I was going to see some things that made me chuckle just by immaturity. <laughs> when I'm looking at the alternate, <laughs> yeah, it's like newspapers, cool. Okay, okay. I can believe you that. that. You know, yeah. Okay, catalogs. I'm still wrapping my mind around rock. Which is why they started rock. making catalogs in gloss paper. <laughs> I'm still wrapping my mind around rock. Rock. Yeah, <laughs> still. Let me bring what up corn kind of gob. primal caveman shit is that? Corn cob. I'm looking at these nice leaves over here, and just a rock over to my right, and I'm like, rock worked much better. Oh, boom. Oh, Jesus. So, corn cob. Leave it on corn cob. No, <laughs> I can't leave it there. We'll go. The first uh, perforated toilet paper appeared in 1890. Okay. Thank God. So, yeah. Think we had blue police uniforms before we were using toilet paper. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. What do you connect those dots? Before that, it was just a free for all. Anything you could, <laughs> Anything. you found acceptable was. Used in your household. Whatever. It's probably a family tradition. We're a corn cob house. Damn it. <laughs> That's all we use here. That's all we use here. We'll never change. It ain't working, Paul. Oh, God. No. All right. Moving, moving on. Should we? We got to get out of this. Okay. Or should we do the thing? Uh, Well, I got one. Oh, you got one? I got one. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying quick. to cut you off. Yeah. Um. So on a much happier note. You've probably, everybody's seen where somebody does like a gender reveal party or you talk about having a kid and, and it's, oh, is it blue? Is it pink? You know, the, the whole gender thing based around boy blue, girl pink, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's smoke or powder or inside yeah. the cake, well, blue cake, pink believe, cake. Believe it or not, there was not a color assigned to a gender until right after World War One. Before that, pretty much all babies were... In a white gown. That way it was easier to get to the diaper. Um, the gown was white, so it was easy to clean. Um, and I've read that too, that like little boys wore gowns until they were like five yeah, or six. And right? actually, uh, for the most part, up until about six or seven, uh, everything was gender neutral. Colors, it didn't matter. because that makes sense. Because if a family had six kids, well, guess what? You can't afford to have all this different stuff yeah. for different boys and girls. The kid doesn't get like new that. clothes. So you could... They would dress the, the kid from the time that they were born up until about six or seven in totally gender neutral colors. Okay? It didn't matter. That it was just what it makes was. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. So then when did assigning colors for boy and girl? So after World War One, they started actually choosing pink to be associated with boys. I had read that before somewhere that pink was a boy color. Yes. Now, a big reason behind that was pink comes from red, obviously, mm-hmm. and red was considered a very harsh, strong color. Color of blood. And so they associated that and with the boys, rods. and the girls were associated with blue, more uh, sky, you know, think of sunshine, and, and, you know, a soft, inviting color. So for a long time, it was boys were pink, girls were blue. Okay. I'm picking up what you're laying Until down. Until... The marketing people got a hold of it when dyes in, in different clothes started becoming more prominent and becoming a bigger thing and more affordable. 
And they started uh, bringing it in like, oh, you know what? We could make a whole lot of money if we market this certain thing towards just the babies. And we get people come in and they're going to spend more money. And it's just an extra cash people grab. love spending money on babies. Yeah, just like cash grab. It really wasn't until the 70s and 80s when they really started getting like, in, in the 80s, they started coming up with the technology where you could see what the baby was going to be. Yeah. The sex of the baby before it was born. Right? The sonogram. And so that's when <laughs> gender reveals and different stuff like that started coming around. Well, that's when the marketing thing started turning around a little bit and they started actually pushing more toward boys are blue and girls are pink. So we have it all two marketing ploys that really have picked that boys get associated with blue, girls get associated with pink. Have you ever heard the rumor, and I, I uh, this was years ago when I first was being born, but looked it up that girl clothes... But I know this for teenagers. I'm not an idiot, okay? But as far as we're talking babies and stuff like here and little kids. Yeah. That girl products that are the same as the boy product but just made pink or with Minnie Mouse and sparkles and stuff on there are actually raised to a higher price point than the boy stuff. Oh, yeah. You might not. Okay, you've noticed the price difference probably with having all girls. I've noticed how sometimes it is very hard to find boy stuff. Like certain places you go to. You can find girl stuff all day long, but it's going to be, the price on it is going to be way higher girl than what it would be. Whereas a lot of times you go to, you know, a, a clothing place or something like that, and the boys' selection is is virtually nothing. Yeah. It's just so simplistic, you know, just like, you need a t-shirt and shorts or whatever, and that's it. Where the girls, there's so many different things, but everything's so much more expensive. And it's like, this that's totally not fair. Like, wait a minute, this is BS. They need to make... Girl clothes, like I like mix matching like a boy shirt with a skirt for the girl, you know, like it just looks cooler. Because, I mean, how many sparkly Minnie Mouse shirts can you put on a kid? Mm-hmm. It's just the 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 lack of, um, I don't know what word I'm searching for here, is mind boggling where it's like just this whole section is just pink. Yeah. And I don't want to dress her in pink every day. And you know, on the flip side of that. My son has plenty of, he has a couple of pink shirts. I have pink shirts. You know? Yeah. I, Salmon. <laughs> no, I have pink. I have some pink shirts. I'm cool with it. It's like, you yeah. see the baby's clothes. Mm-hmm. The stuff Melody gets for him is like rock and roll t-shirts. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Murphy has like a Rolling Stone shirt that's awesome. I still have uh, Jack's onesie that a friend of ours got us uh, that says Little Ass Kicker. Yes. From Walking Dead. Walking Dead. I still have that. And I was like, you know what? Of all of his little onesies that we have, I think I'm going to keep this one. <laughs> Liz might have a, a different one that she is, feels a little bit more uh, emotionally attached to. Do but... people still keep baby booties? <laughs> Their shoes? Uh, I guess it's I'm, not such I'm, a big thing now because I, it's... I guess they do. I... They make tiny little baby Nikes. Yes. Yes, they do. And guess what? They're really expensive. People still bronze them? I don't know about that. Question for another time. Yeah. Anyway, I do think now it is time... To do it! Let's do the thing. All right, man, it's time for... Search Engine Results. Keeping with today's theme, I asked the all-powerful internet a question. I got my answer. I have two more answers here, and Keith's going to have to pick which one is the correct. Are you ready to play? Yes, sir, I am. Okay, here it goes. Give this is spinning off something a little bit earlier. That I was talking about as far as the t-shirt. What was the first film appearance of a t-shirt as outerwear? Oh, uh, geez. Okay. Here are your three answers to choose from. 
Uh, a, a streetcar named Desire. B, the Wizard of Oz. Or C, the Maltese Falcon. Okay. I don't remember anybody in the Wizard of Oz wearing a t-shirt. Well, no, the Munchkins. Oh, crap. Yeah, they were, weren't they? The Munchkins weren't wearing t-shirts. They were wearing little button-up shirts. Oh, man. Yeah. They were dressed pretty dapper. There was suspenders and trousers. I was thinking there was a group of them that were off to the side. Man, shit. Okay. So. A streetcar named Desire. Uh Uh-huh. The Wizard of Oz or the Maltese Falcon. You ever seen the Maltese Falcon? No. Bogart? No. It's a good film. Watch that. Not gonna lie, man. My my older movie trivia is is pretty weak. I watch Casablanca once a year. I might have seen it once. I'm sorry. Another good flick. But I like old movies, so. <sighs> so I so. guess by my brain's process of elimination, I'll go with Streetcar Named Desire. That's what I would have went with, and it's actually incorrect. Hmm. As far as my studies have shown. Okay. It was The Wizard of Oz. Shit! 1939. So, I was... Man. Mm-hmm. I was on to something. But it wasn't a mun- one of the munchkins. It, what was it? It was... There's a scene when they finally get to the Emerald City. And remember, like, Tin Man's being oiled up and the Scarecrow was getting stuffed back. Uh, getting all of his straw stuffed back into him. Mm-hmm. The workers that are stuffing the Scarecrow all have green sh- t-shirts on that say Oz on the chest. Oh, man. That's the first one. So I, was, I was kind of onto it. and I You were myself... onto it for a second. You were thinking about main yeah. characters. Yeah. I, I, yep. I pulled they, myself away from it. They were side characters. Uh. It was kind of a blink and you miss it. But hmm. that's the the first one. First time that it was seen on screen. Well, what do you know? 1939. Think about that. Hmm. Oh, when did you say the, the sailors started doing it? They started doing it in World War One, But uh, remember the Sears Roebuck didn't come out. With the, oh, actually, that would have made sense because it was 1938 when Sears started selling t-shirts. So the next year, you get your first on-screen t-shirt. Hmm. Hmm. How about that? Well, and now you know the rest of the <laughs> now story. you know the rest of the story. The workers in Oz had t-shirts. Okay, on the uh, same token as clothing, one that I looked up that, man, really was cool to me, was the history of high heels. Every woman has them in their closet. Um, I think we've all seen videos of people rolling their ankles, hurting themselves, to to doing, them. doing bad. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to lie. I do remember a, a time a friend of ours uh, was doing a show. But say so you did a benefit. I did a benefit. And wore high heels. And wore high heels and a dress. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm comfortable enough in myself. I can, I can say that. And I could not walk in them at all. It was terrible. <laughs> it was, it was god awful. I was falling all over the place. I busted my ass multiple like, times. How do people, how do they navigate in these yeah, things? Yeah, this is, yeah. Anyway, so, believe it or not, do you know where high, high heels actually originated from? No, the only thing I know about them is that they were originally created as men's footwear, right? Was that in France or? Kind of. They were originally created as riding shoes on your horse. Oh, to hold in the stirrups. So you could hold your position better in the stirrups. So that way, whenever you went to fire an arrow, you had a better footing and adjustment. This is why cowboy boots today still have heels. Exactly. So it was actually uh, more prominent in Persia. Oh, wow. So because, we're going way back. Because that was, they were really known for their horseback uh, fighting style. Mm-hmm. 
And so that was a staple. Like every every rider had to have these heels. Now, they weren't the heels that we know now. I believe Dan Carlin would call it the step. The step people that fought horseback. Yeah, like they, like they weren't the, the heels that we know nowadays. The, the yeah, high they heels, were heels but, put but on they their were footwear. heels put on there to adjust yourself and kind of get your grip when you're riding. So you could... Again, makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it makes a lot of sense. So anyway, um, in... 1599, the Persian Empire started kind of putting a little bit more of their stuff out, and people started seeing more of their culture and stuff like that. It became more prominent as far as... Oh, yeah. At that time, everybody was crossing paths yeah, for yeah. the trade. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, so all cultures started intermingling. And so in Europe, they started seeing this that the riders would wear, and the aristocratic society started noticing it and like, hey, that's really cool. So the men all started wearing high heels. To make themselves taller? Some of them. Most of it was just as a kind of a, a power status because it made them look regal, made them feel more powerful. And a big thing was all the roads that were there were either it was a, either a dirt road or a cobblestone. Well, Ooh. you couldn't walk in heels no. on cobblestone. But guess what? If you were rich, you didn't walk anywhere. You rode in a carriage or something like that. So, so when you stepped a... out of your carriage, it's like, well, I don't need to walk on the cobblestone, so I'm wearing my heels. It was a status symbol. Exactly. A huge status symbol. Um, different kings would wear it, and they would uh, usually uh, have them made with red hues in it, because red was a... Regal color. Regal color. It was the most expensive of the dyes of the time. And so there were different... Different royalties, different high-end people that would wear them. And a lot of times, it would be shorter men mm-hmm. that would wear them to, you know, make them look taller and stuff like that. Well, once more common people kind of caught on to the whole idea about it, they started wearing them too. Well, instead of changing up the style or doing anything different, they would just actually increase the heel on it and make them taller. <laughs> so that's where we start getting heels that are taller and taller and higher and higher up, right? Well, it seems to, as far as like the, with the aristocrats, there's a lot more care has to go into designing and making the shoe. Mm-hmm. So as anything else, the more care put into it, the higher end it's going to be. Yeah. And I mean, any accessory they could have at the time that made them stand out, be more flashy and fancy, mm-hmm. different from the regular common people they were all about. It's no different than today. Look at their shoes. So around the 1630s, women started cutting their hair. They started dressing more masculine. It was, uh, they started smoking out of pipes. They started doing different things that were viewed as a masculine type of thing mm-hmm. to kind shift. of fit in. And there was a big shift. So they started wearing the heels. This was in the 1600s? Yeah. You said? 1630s. Uh, well. Ooh, pirates. <laughs> a little bit later on down the road, things started changing. Men's attire started becoming more, more downplayed, uh, started becoming more functional. Uh, you started getting away from wigs. Started yep. getting away from heels. It uh, wasn't as pompous the, the, and full of pageantry. Exactly, it was more exactly. Like, how can I function day to day? But the women kept certain things, namely the heels, because it was still viewed as a power play and a sign of wealth. And so they continued to use them. Men's shoes got rid of the heels as what we think of when we think of high heels. But now that's why, like you said earlier, with cowboy boots and different shoes and stuff like that, we have the flat heel that's the flat stacked. Yeah, you are not rocking a stiletto. Versus the women kept, uh, their their heels kept getting thinner and thinner and taller and taller. And 
made them also a lot of women enjoyed it because they were on the same eye level as men. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. why it stayed prominent with the women throughout everything. So that's where we get the high heels from. Man, it all started off riding horses. Knocking it out of the park with the common sense why that works yeah. shit tonight. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, walking in stilettos, I think it's still a power play. If you can even function mm-hmm. in those things, you, you're on oh, another level. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Liz has one pair of them. Like, I, every time she wears them, I'm like, please don't break your ankle. <laughs> but she rocks them and can do it. I couldn't do it. No way. I'd, That's a whole other art form. I'd break my ankle in a heartbeat. Yeah. Not happening. And then you see some of the dresses that accompany them where you can't move your legs, which I guess, I, I don't know if that helps or hinders. I don't know. <laughs> baby steps to the refrigerator, baby steps Don't to walk the on couch. the cobblestone. Don't walk on cobblestones. I don't think I could walk on cobblestones and freaking tennis shoes and not fall over. No joke, man. Yeah. Thanks for beautiful streets, though. Hmm. Man, good episode tonight. Yep. Learned Fun. a little bit of stuff from you. I'm so glad that we're back at it. Hopefully. Season three. Hopefully Welcome season back. three is going to be our best season ever. I think so. We love doing this. That's why we do it. Yeah. A lot of fun. Hopefully everybody starts uh, following us a little bit more, uh, leaves us some reviews. Yeah, y'all be sure and hit us up and leave those reviews. We want to know anything you want us to talk about mm-hmm. because we will look up, we'll look up damn near anything, I guess. Let's yeah. have a conversation about it. Yeah, we're pretty much open to everything. I feel like we're learning a lot doing this. <laughs> There's so many things that... Uh, which we kind of do some off-the-wall stuff. But I'll True. be in conversations and something will come up and I'll pop my head up whether I'm standing at a counter waiting to get a coffee. And I'm like, I'm, I know the answer to that. <laughs> like, what? You're How? the weird dude at How the counter? Do you, yes. How do you know that? <laughs> Crazy out-of-left-field question that somebody just asked. Where did high heels come from? <laughs> when did t-shirts become prominent outerwear? I don't think anybody has ever asked about wiping their ass with a rock, though. I'm going to be sure and tell everybody. I'm just going to drop that. In. No, I'm just going to look at you when we're at things where we need to be serious. And I'm just going to go corn cob. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. If you're at a business meeting, I'm just going to text you corn cobs. <laughs> Fuck. Come on, man. Oh. Well, yes. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here on The Random Men. We're uh, glad to be back for season three. Bro, as always, it's been a pleasure. Yes, sir. Y'all be sure and hit us up. Leave those likes, reviews. Hit the subscribe button so you're notified every week when we drop a new episode because Mm -hmm. we're going to start hitting it hard and heavy again. We're we're back. All right. Until next time, I'm Kenny. I'm Keith. Thank God for toilet paper.